0: And I remember telling all the other art dealers and exhibitors that no, I couldn't face the stress anymore. Um, I would probably be able to cope with the stress of deciding what colour to put on the end of a paintbrush. And that's when I decided to stop art dealing as such or certainly stop exhibiting at the art fairs in America and here in Europe um, and concentrate on my own work.
1: Hello, my name is Hélène Pérez and you're listening to
0: Are You an Artist?
1: Today's episode is with Richard Philp, who speaks about his journey from art dealing to painting, but also the importance of friendship in life. Richard has many stories to share, we probably would need a 24 hours recording, so this is just a taster, enjoy the episode. And that's it. All right, I think we are good to go. Okay. Hi, Richard. Hello, Eileen. Richard Philp. Um, so I'm starting this, each episode of this podcast by reading out a letter I've written to the guest. So if that's all right with you, I will... Absolutely. ...read you my letter. Dear Richard, I remember meeting you while I was modeling at Masbro Center and having great conversations about art and dance. When you invited me to model for a small group at your house, I did not hesitate. However, I did not expect to come into a gallery rather than a living room. Paintings, sculptures and art books can be found everywhere, which made me feel very comfortable from the start. And it's probably the reason why I asked you to stay at your place for a week. Getting to know you better, I discovered that this was your life. Painting every day reading about art, philosophy, or novels, and seeing friends. I realized that you were a great artist, always questioning, exploring, and going further, but also a beautiful human being, kind, generous, open-minded. Today, I am very happy to count you as a friend, to be inspired by your work, and to have you in this podcast as I know you have a rich life and many stories to share. So let's start with the first question, which is also the title of the podcast. Are you an artist?
0: Well, yes, I consider that I am a painter now, an artist. But for much of my life, most of my life, for decades, I was uh, dealing in art of many many periods, from antiquity through the medieval period, uh, the Renaissance, uh, even, and also contemporary art. Um, I often thought that why has one, why have we have to be a specialist? Uh, in many of the art fairs that I did, the organizers are always trying to. Um, Put me into a particular category, um, whether it was medieval or Renaissance or antiquity. And I thought this really isn't the fundamental uh, question. It's really um, the quality of the art that matters, whether it's from two or three thousand years ago or uh, two weeks ago. I mean, there was a lovely story when I was exhibiting one of the at one of the international art fairs where in the morning I sold an ancient Egyptian vase of 6,000 years ago, made 6,000 years ago. Um, And in the afternoon I sold um, three vases made by my brother, who's an international ceramicist, Um, and they were just four or five hours old. Um, And so it was fascinating to think that I could... um, in fact, uh, display and sell objects spanning uh, 6,000 years are made of the, exactly the same material, um, clay, fired clay. So I think that um, my background, um, all those years of, of specialising and yet not specialising, relating one discipline to another, has really given me a sort of platform and an inspiration for doing my own work. But what I certainly I feel that I'm not doing is creating any uh, pastiche or repetition or copying from the past. I mean, for example, I, at the moment I've been studying ancient Roman fresco painting, um, and as I do a lot of a lot of my own paintings are uh, actually still life as far as subject matter. Um the the Roman, ancient Romans, especially Pompeii, um created a lot of um still life paintings. Um but again I, I I I don't want to emphasize, I don't want to uh copy these, but I'm fascinated by their technique and how they've aged. And in a way, I want my own work to have that sort of timeless quality, not to remind you of of the past of ancient Rome, but perhaps um, have certain characteristics you find in ancient Roman work. Um, So yes, the past, um, although I retired from art dealing Uh, officially, um, which was in 2014. Um, I was asked at the end of that exhibition that I, well, everyone was encouraging me to sign another contract to exhibit for another few years.
1: Hello again, it's Eline from The Montage. I had to pause the recording because a firework just started. Yay! And it was too loud for us to focus on the conversation. So after this break, Richard will be talking again about the exhibition in which he was asked to keep going as an art dealer when he wanted to stop. Back to the
0: recording. Um, At that particular exhibition, I I showed a collection of um, 15th century Italian uh, portraits from from Lombardy a um, wonderful collection of whole uh, portraits of one particular family from Milan in the 15th century we knew the family, names of the, fam- the name of the different sitters and of course they they caused um, a lot of excitement to the fair um, I don't think I've ever talked so much for a whole week everyone wanted to know about them talked to me about them and even threatened to buy them which eventually someone did buy them um, on the last day. Uh, and then once they were sold, all the art dealers were cross because they were hoping I w- they would have a chance. And I was um, really encouraged, I suppose, to sign up for another year or so. And I remember telling all the other art dealers and exhibitors that, no, I couldn't face the stress anymore. Um... I would probably be able to cope with the stress of deciding what colour to put on the end of a paintbrush. And that's when I decided to stop art dealing as such or certainly stop exhibiting at the art fairs in America and here in Europe um, and concentrate on my own work. Um, And now every day since then I paint and draw um, and don't, and don't regret it. I mean, it's not easy. Um, you know, you have to be disciplined, um, concentrate, and try and believe in what you're doing, which isn't, of course, always easy. I mean, funny enough, I'm just reading a biography of um, one of the greatest painters of all time, Monet. And what I didn't really know until, in fact... Today, reading the novel, the biography is that he had he he had great problems over confidence. Even when he was doing his great series of um, cathedral paintings of Rouen, um, he had doubt. In fact, he wanted to destroy them all. Um, And can one believe that when you look at these great, wonderful, timeless, beautiful masterpieces now? But he he even Monet had self doubt. Um, not that that should be a, a, a compulsory component of, of being an, an artist. You try. You have to f- have a certain amount of confidence um, in order to keep going and keep evolving and keep changing. Um, otherwise, you. One thing I can't bear is is when you see so much today, especially formulaic work, work repetitive work, cliched work, um, gimmicky work. Um, you know, you have to be honest to yourself and as original as you can be without being gimmicky.
2: Mm.
0: Um, but it's it's an ongoing it's another battle which in every day you're you're fighting.
1: Yeah. That's that's what I like I was saying in the letter, I felt like you would always try to go further, like never settle with an idea or something. Um yeah, and if you go back to the very beginning when you were a child, do you have a, a first memory of a creative moment?
0: Well, I, 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 when I was a child, yes, I was always drawing and painting. I remember entering competitions um, on, on the early days of um, children's television and this would have been in the early 50s. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, Probably, And um, there was a, a, a program called, um, uh, what do you know, it escapes me. Uh, but anyway, I I remember entering this competition and you had to send in your paintings to the BBC. And um, I couldn't believe it when I actually won. Wow. Um, the first year I tried and that I'd be getting a very special prize. Um in fact, it was a rather slim uh, book written by the artist Adrian hill um wasn't the I was imagining I was going to receive a great um <laughs> sweet um you know library of of books and and oil paints to last me a lifetime but anyway, um I was thrilled to have that um um little you know, childlike success. And it was only recently, when well I say recently, about a few, three or four years ago, I had a phone call out of the blue from one of my friends from school um, who I hadn't seen since I was about 15 or 16. And uh, we had a long chat and he, uh, he was now an admiral of, of the fleet um, in the Navy, you know, very grand title. Um, which I found extraordinary because I I remember him being a very mischievous lad. Um, And then he asked me, of course, about my life and I told him what I was doing and he interrupted me. He said, we all knew, we all knew you were going to be a painter even when you were 12 or 13 because we were all so jealous of what you were doing. Wow. Um, And then I I was very fortunate in having uh, an art teacher the art master who encouraged me um to go to college of art and i remember him asking me one day he said well you know what are you what what are your ambitions about the future um and i said oh wow well, i said i and when i'm an adult i well, i think one ambition would be to have an art gallery in london where i would sell art from every period every culture possible from ancient times to the present day um, and that is a it was a pipe dream when I was a child but of course it came to fruition I actually did exactly what I did I had a gallery and I exhibited in in art fairs around the world showing art from many of those periods and he said what was your what is your second um ambition and I said oh well to have a little house by the sea in a studio and to be a famous, remember I was only precocious sort of 13-year-old or 14-year-old, and I said to have a uh, little house in a studio and a boat by the sea and be an international famous portrait painter, painting the most beautiful women in the world. I, and I uh, and I haven't quite achieved that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's still time.
0: Um, but there's still maybe a little bit of time. Um, but I do enjoy, um, I mentioned painting uh, still life, but I think one of my greatest loves is to paint uh, portraits. Mm. Um, and ever since I was a teenager, it's, Rembrandt has been my inspiration. Um, and my hero, and I constantly go back and look and look and look at him. Um, And I remember when I was teaching art in my early 20s in London, I took a group of students to the National Gallery, and I was standing in front of one of the greatest Rembrandts there, which is a portrait of Margarita Geyer, a very old lady sitting in a very simple uh, Idea, just this elderly lady sitting in an armchair, um, and I—I I, I was to this day I'm sort of passionate about this painting. And one of the a couple of the students said, "Why are you spending so much time looking at this work?" And I remember saying, um, "This is nearly sixty years ago." I said, "I remember saying, well, you know, if you're ever going to try and enjoy great art or." understand art you have to spend time a long long time um performing and getting to know the artist and the particular painting you can't just rush past with a camera and as people do today
2: Mm. yeah
1: wow you that's great you've been like answering the questions i haven't even asked so (laughs) um So you've been an art dealer for quite a long time. Um, What teaching did you get from this experience that now you can apply in your painting,
0: Um,
1: if you have one?
0: I mean, what what have I benefited from being an an art dealer? Um, I think, um, well, I'll answer that, uh, not directly but indirectly. my my brother, as I mentioned earlier, is, is um, very well um, established and um, now very important and famous ceramicist. about to have a major exhibition in Los Angeles. And the, at one of his exhibitions, um, uh, the reviewer, the critic, a uh, man uh, called Emmanuel Cooper, who was then... Um Uh, editor of Ceramic Review, that's a leading magazine on ceramics, he reviewed my brother's exhibition. And I remember one line in that review which said, um, when you look at Paul's work, you can see that he's steeped in the history of ceramics, but at no point is there any hint of pastiche. He's totally original. And I always remember that because... It really makes the point that knowledge enables you to be more original. So many artists think that if they don't study the past, if they're not steeped in the past, they can be original. But that's dangerous because you're more likely to produce some clichéd work um, because you don't have the knowledge about it, uh, the history of that particular subject. And I think in my own case... Um, over the years, I've been fascinated by so many different periods. Um, For example, um, I was the first person to study and buy um, portraits of the Elizabethan period. This was in the late 60s. No one had any interest at all in the subject. And yet it's one of our greatest periods of uh, in our art history, but there was no interest. Um, and again, I suppose it was the interest in portraiture, but um, that stayed with me and, and has somehow uh, fed into my work, um, but not, of course, in a very direct way. And then when I studied um, medieval wood sculpture and stone sculpture, that made me examine um, form and uh, and frankly um, the emotional side of of, of the scu- of the structures. Not just pure form, which you're more likely to see in Renaissance or in the antique world, but with the medieval art, there is so much um, um, humility, compassion, and sensitivity. I think. And I'm always aware of that uh, when I work today. Mm. Um, So many periods. And and then, of course, the Renaissance, uh, studying the great sculptors like Donatello and Bernini. um, And then the the great painters of the Venetian school, especially of Titian and Giorgione and Bellini. And there's something so enigmatic about their work it's you can never quite explain it it's there's so much mystery and that's another aspect which interests me so much because you can never tie anything down or shouldn't be able to there should always be that element of um, mystery with the work
1: yeah yeah because it makes you curious about the work well yes you
0: have to arouse curiosity
1: mm. And how do you feel when you're creating something new?
0: Well, there's quite a lot of um, <laughs> nervous <laughs> nervousness apprehension and um, um, because you you know it usually begins because it how happened recently I was just sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen or pencil and thinking through some ideas um, and I thought, well, would this work? Um, and the, uh, it was really to do with the scale of my paintings. Um, i have been working on a relatively small scale, especially with the still life works. And it occurred to me, why do I sort of constrict the 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 objects or, uh, of the still life, the pears, the apples, the plums, the the um, grapes, or whatever they are, um, in such a small space what if i were to open allow these objects to breathe give them much more space um it was a bit of a strange idea in a way but i went out and bought myself canvases one meter by one meter it's quite large but i didn't if this makes any sense i didn't enlarge the actual still life so life remained more or less at exactly the same scale. I simply gave much more space around uh, the objects, and then something interesting began to happen. They, they, by having much more space, they seemed to change their forms. So the forms changed. Um, and that became fascinating and that, uh, so I began a sort of triptych of three, a series of three, and now I'm actually now working on a fourth mm. um developing that idea so um but I'm also you know continue with portraiture and and uh, life painting, which interests me very much, or the figure in space um. And there are certain artists that influence me in, in that direction.
1: Mm. And how do ideas come to you?
0: How do? Ideas. I think the ideas, I remember my father telling me, my father was a writer, a playwright, and I remember him saying to me when I was very young that, that in order to write, you don't sit around waiting for inspiration you sit down with a piece of paper on in those days a typewriter (laughs) um which is probably today no one knows what that is but um and you just doesn't matter what you put on the paper type out on the paper but you put words on the paper and those words will create your inspiration i mean that's a bit of a you know a bland way of I mean it's not entirely true of course but you've got to have some sort of other ideas but I think what he meant by that was that the activity itself um, of standing in front of a canvas or um, uh, even if it's working ideas out on a piece of paper you just get something down and that in itself will, will help you uh, evolve an idea.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Like starting a movement and then just keeps moving somehow. Yes, yes. That
0: yeah, I mean, if you th- exactly, and as a dancer, if, if you just think, what am I going to what movements, new movements I can do today? I'm sure that you're more likely to get those original movements by going through certain yes uh, um, uh, you know, movements you've made in the past. Of course, um, it's a combination, I think, of of. The uh, physicality of doing, of actually doing it, but also um, thinking through um, different ideas, and then of course other areas. Interest I find uh, inspire me, um, whether it's um, literature or or um, um, just dance and movement. Um, Many, many influences, I suppose. Mm. And I think that... Um, I I remember when I was... I think I was probably still at art college when I was about 20 and I was making a, some drawings on a beach in Wales. And I was drawing three people, probably two adults and a child, I think, sitting are uh, the, at the higher part of a pebbled beach and I was behind them so they couldn't see me and I was doing very quick little sketches, drawings. Mm. And then, even though these were very quick sketches, uh, and I looked up and they had disappeared and they had gone, I thought, oh, you know, I remember being rather cross because I hadn't finished the drawing but then I closed the sketchbook, a sketchbook, and I walked away, and I, and I realised that this was quite fascinating because only seconds before they had been there, but now they weren't. So that meant that if I was to transcribe these drawings into a, a painting on canvas, I had to somehow suggest that these forms, these People or forms were there, but not there. There was an element, you know, this whole interest in, in time. Um, that I had to somehow put down on canvas, solid forms, so to speak, and yet not solid forms. Is that possible? And to this day, you know, um, sixty years later, I'm still. Um, I still find that a challenge. Mm. Um, uh, and it'll continue to be a challenge. Of course, Giacometti um, was that's what he was doing. He was in, uh, with sculpture. He could never define where form ended and space began, and vice versa. So it's an ongoing question. Um, question.
1: Yeah. And what is your favorite? favorite part of a creative process my favorite part yeah would that be the very beginning when the idea comes or
0: no that i i think the i think the, the most interesting point is um let me explain the beginning when you you're already putting on the structure on on the ca- on if it's a painting it's on the canvas you're drawing in i usually begin with charcoal And it's essential to get some sort of basic structure on the canvas. Um, And then you spend time on that. But there has to be a point, again it applies to portraiture as well, where what is happening on the canvas has to have its own life. Now this begins to sound too romantic for words, too. Uh, but it's not. It's very real. It's, it's very real. Because when I've when the objects, whether it's a still life or a portrait, have just remained sort of static on the canvas, or they remain okay up to a point, but they haven't come. They haven't f- found their own life, and. Once I get that rhythm and movement and life into what I'm painting, then there's a different challenge because in a sense you're having a dialogue, a discussion with the painting and it can give you a bad time (laughs) as much as a good time because it won't, you know, as they they say, a dreadful phrase, it doesn't take prisoners, but, you know, you're sometimes fighting with it um, and you don't always win. But at least you know that the painting has come to life. Um, and it has what I... I mean, let's not get too, as I say, romantic about it, but it, it has to have an energy in itself. It has to have a force within it, forces within itself. Um, otherwise, it's, it's just another dead, boring bit of art, and there's too much of that about it
1: that's great so then you can create a relationship with the
0: yeah well (laughs) maybe that's why I've never got married yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) too many
2: relationships
1: (laughs) um and I'm a bit curious because the next question is but I'm not sure if have you ever created something with people the question is like do you prefer to create on your own or with people
0: um that's um that's a good question i I've, um, lately I've, I've been, um, going to, I go to two studios outside my own, uh, in one week, and one is to life drawing, um, and it's a very traditional, um, approach in this particular group. Um, it's, you know, very, um, everyone's terribly nice and charming, but the, um, they seem to be very unimaginative about how to pose the the, the model. Um, they like to put them against a wall almost. Um, they try to make the three-dimensional figure into a two-dimensional figure. I constantly try and change things without much success and say, why on earth don't you put the figure in the middle of the room and then we can work uh, around. around 360 degrees? And they just don't begin to understand that. So to answer your question, I mean that I, I you know, I, in a way I'm working against the other people. And then I go to another group, and they're perhaps even more um traditional, and uh, they like to sit the the um life model in a gilt armchair every week after week for three hours, and I I find it a bit sort of odd, to say the least. Um, the idea of putting a naked figure in a gilt armchair—it's, um, I'm sure they might have done it in the Dada period or something. But I mean, and I say, well, can't you just have the model without any props, without any chairs or benches, and just on a platform? But they still don't. So, in a way, um, I enjoy being with. Any of these people, it's true, but um, we're hardly working in a team. So then I began to have um, my own group at my house, at my house in my, and in my studio, um, where we could have a model moving. Um, and I find that fascinating to have the model perhaps moving every few seconds or half, every half minute. So you're constantly having to. Re- Rethink what you're doing and change.
1: And when is the creation finished? When do you stop?
0: Um, well, funny enough, I've I mentioned that I've been working on a, on three paintings on a sort of triptych, one meter. Each one is one meter by a meter, so you sort of really it's three meters by three meters, and. Um, I thought, as I was doing a series of of three in this case, that by the time I finished the third one, that would be it. And what's happening, I realize, is that the more, well, by the time I get to the third one, or even the second one, I have to go back to the first one because I see what's wrong with it, or how it can be changed. And then I'm beginning to think I was only thinking this this evening that perhaps they're never finished. Mm. Um, and it's fascinating that studying other and reading about other, about other artists, uh, some of the great ones, um, did a lot well. Not only did they destroy a lot of their work, but they would, if they didn't destroy, they often would scrape a lot of the paint away and rebuild it. Mm. Which is really saying you can never quite finish. Um, and after all, if you do bring it to a full stop, bring it to an, the end. It's probably then, I was mentioning just now about keeping a painting alive. You've probably killed it um, if you think it's definitely finished. Um, it, 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 this should always. You should always have, how can I put it, this, a few windows open or a few doors left open so that you can re-enter the yeah. work um, and give it an, a bit more life. I mean there has to be a point where you want to move on because you want to do so much other work. Mm. But um I don't think really again going back to the great man Dracometti, he, he always said that he never no work was ever finished.
2: Mm.
0: And I I think it's true of many, many um painters and sculptors.
1: Mm. And is there something you created that you are really proud of?
0: Well, very few, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I um, there's, um, for example, I, um, some, a few years ago now, I had a wonderful model. I did a series of portraits of her, a lady called Vanessa, um, a beautiful lady. And um, one of the... I mean, I did a series, as I mentioned, of portraits of her. And one of the first ones won um, quite an important prize that year of being the, meant to be the best portrait in London of uh, that year. And my next-door neighbour, um, who's a very well-known broadcaster... Of the BBC, a very well known man, um who's a very good friend, but has made it very clear he has no interest in art whatsoever, and no interest in paintings whatsoever. And I've known each we've known each other now for twenty years. Actually we were at school together, but we Oh, I didn't know that. We'd forgotten. Well, we were in the same class.
2: Wow.
0: It's an extraordinary coincidence, and we're now living next door to each other. But we're very good friends, and but you know, he Though he's a very well-read man and enjoys music and, and certainly literature, he, he's very honest, saying that he has no interest in painting. And then one day, very fairly recently, about a year ago, he came. He was in my house and looked at the portrait of Vanessa, this lovely model. I said, what's that, Richard? I said, oh, it's, um I told him a little bit about it. And he bought it. And he has it in, hanging in his oh, wow. n- living room. But what's interesting, why I mention this, is that within every, well, nearly every week he tells me, oh, I had some friends around and they were all admiring your portrait. And he shows it off to everyone. And I find this quite amusing because <laughs> he uh, has always um, admitted that he has no interest in art. So and that's incredible. He's so excited about portrait and um, shows it to everyone
2: mm-hmm.
0: and there was another and recently funny enough there's a coincidence that I painted a portrait of um, a, um, a lady who um, she and her husband had just moved a young couple moved into my neighborhood well just a few doors away and uh, I I said, look, I'll, I'll do a portrait of, of, of your wife. Um, and I, they didn't know I was doing it, but I did it based on photographs, which I normally don't do. For, use photographs. But, I mean, it was impossible for her to sit for me because she was working every day. And I gave it to them as a, as a present. And they were thrilled. Oh, they said they were. But then I thought, being slightly paranoid, sort of... <laughs> Artist, I thought, well, how do I know they're thrilled? They've obviously just been polite. I'll never know where they really like it. They probably put it in the cupboard somewhere or in the trash can. And then about a week later, he rang my doorbell and said, look, Richard, um, um, uh, it's Vaso's wife's birthday in a few days in a week's time and I'd like to buy her a special present and she loves your work so much. I want to buy a painting, one of your paintings, as a present for her. And he chose a portrait of the model Vanessa, ah.
2: um,
0: which I was proud of. I mean, it's a painting I always liked and work, it seemed to work. Um, and he, which proved, of course, that they were more than happy with the portrait I did of her. Mm. Um, so those two paintings, two portraits, but then uh, I'm quite proud of some of the portraits, some of the paintings I've sold to um, museums and um, people connected with museums and trustees of museums and curators have bought my work. So um, these are people who are steeped in art history. Mm. And... um, they seem to connect with the work I'm doing, so that makes me feel, for a while, content. <laughs> That's a good a, sign. For an hour, <laughs> <laughs> and then the, like Monet, the the insecurity comes back. Comes back.
1: Hmm. And what will you say is your strength as an artist or as a human being?
0: Um. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, gosh, what a question! I've. Um, I think what immediately comes into my head. Would be that, by practicing as a as an artist as a painter. I think maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think that the actual practice of. Being a, a painter. Um helps me being a, a better human being it 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 somehow helps build my world and mm. um enables me to connect um with the outside world people um is that sorry it was yeah, yeah that's that's, that's
1: great i mean um
0: i I, mean, I hadn't thought of that until you asked the question but i i I think, or let's put it the other way around, I often ask myself if I had either continued as an art dealer or just retired and taken up golf, not that I could ever play golf, but also whatever <laughs> it might have been.
2: Another um, life.
0: I, I, I have no noticed what would have happened to me. I think I would have just sort of imploded and done nothing. And I think that, the, the as I say, the practice of... of and and you in your introduction you talked about um always in in your letter to me the always inquiring and questioning and challenging and but it has to be not just hot air it has to be all those things have to be um um explained and expressed through the work itself yeah um you know, there's nothing worse than listening to someone pontificating, you know, hot air and just without any real substance. I mean, we can all, I can talk about art all night, but in the end, you have to be judged on what you're making. And I think, especially today with um, the sort of digital world, and, um, you know, I'm really bewildered by um, by so much of the sort of digital um, um, works of art and uh, which have no, you know, well, craft is not the right word, but um, they're just, you know, it's AI, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, so I think that's the other many aspects here, but I think... Again, that's why I've always been drawn towards great medieval art because you know the, we we don't know the names of any of these artists stonemasons and woodcarvers stone and, wood and glassmakers and so on. They're anonymous, but their work is so human and so timeless. Um, and it's as though I think we have to go back, or or not go back, but try and rediscover. Um Mott was really inspiring them and and helping them create such work great works of art and i don't i mean they certainly didn't have, have computers mm-hmm. so um that's another whole question to debate
2: i think
1: mm. Mm. and what would you like to be better
0: at um Well, from an e- totally egotistical point of view, I like to be better at having a bit more confidence. <laughs> um, I, I um, because, you, because too much self doubt can can be very destructive. But I think um, I, I think certainly, of course, you know, to be honest, you know, you want your work to um, your work to have enough, how can I put it, not substance is the wrong word, but a work that can communicate with a wide range of people. Because it's interesting, I noticed that um, the people who do like my work or pe- people who buy my work, most of them don't know each other. Um, so they can't, you know, confer, they can't talk about my work together. Um, and yet what they tell me is it runs to a pattern almost. They they say um I'm I'm answer, trying to answer your question now, so hopefully this doesn't sound too egotistical. But I No, no, it's um I, I they they tell me that nearly everyone who buys my work for some reason that it gives them so much joy or happiness. I don't mean that in a that it's like pretty wallpaper when they wake up in the morning, but but they they say that they the work lasts for them every time they look at it, it's still alive, and that makes me feel um, content, or want a better word, um, gives me a little bit of energy. Um, but. Um, Yes, for people to understand, without you having to explain, it's quite a little, this is a quite an amusing little twist, this, because for years, for decades, I was, as an art dealer, all I was was a salesman, really. I mean, OK, I was selling smart art, or you know, whatever you want to call it, You know, really interesting ancient art and so on, but in the end I was a salesman. And... The the twist to this is that when people come to look at my paintings and want to buy them, I find it almost impossible to talk about my work in 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 the sense of trying to sell it. And I remember um, a very nice couple who lived nearby um, came to buy their first painting. Um, And it was quite a large still life. And they said, right, Richard, can you talk to us about it? And I just didn't know what to say. I'd I'd spent fifty years of my life talking about art from every direction, and then um, suddenly I couldn't talk. Um, And then I and there was this embarrassing silence for about half a minute or so, and a minute. They were just looking at me, and um, and then I remembered. the the painting wasn't working at one stage. I couldn't get it to work. I couldn't bring it to life, actually. And then I remembered that I just took a palette knife with one particular um, colour and um, applied it between these two objects and it just lifted the whole painting, brought it to life. And once I said that, I was away. You know, I could talk about it and... And they were rather taken and enraptured by that. But it worked. But, um, yeah, to be able to communicate that was... was, But in in the end, the painting has to do the work for you.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: You can't, um, you know, it has to... What was the...
2: the,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, actually you kind of answered because it was like what would you like to be better at? So maybe it's communication or...
0: I, th- the, I think that, um, yes, but, you know, confident, you can have too much confidence, as I was saying. Yeah,
1: but a bit is nice, a little bit, just a... A little
0: bit, you, you, well, if you don't have a, any, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> um, you're just going to sulk and moan <laughs> and, you know. Um, but so, of course, you've got to have something to... And and, and have enough... Co- I mean, I find... When, you mentioned earlier, asked me earlier on about, I think, working with people, and mm. I mean that's quite good for me. Even though I was a bit rude about some of these groups I go to and the way they don't know how to pose a model, even. But that's okay. Um, they, but there again, it's good to be with people and um, see how people work so differently. Mm. Um, And I noticed when they were looking at my work, it seems I seem to break too many of the rules. And, um, you know, they're also, for example, they're all very organised. They have beautiful palettes and little tubes of paint and they have beautiful brushes
2: Mm.
0: and spotless aprons and it makes me feel a little bit, you know, like a scruffy little schoolboy. And um, and I can't work like that. And and then they're amazed that I, um, I suppose, break a lot of rules and then perhaps produce a portrait which they all um, seem to like. And but I, I and of course the other thing that I find that so many of them go on courses and do these. Um, I think I mean. They, cost so much money to do and the trouble is that uh, nine times out of ten these courses are really um, trying to instruct and pass on a very formulaic work and technique which I'm against I think you've got to find your own freedom
1: yeah yeah yeah. and anything that scares you
0: scares me Mm -hmm. constantly yeah i I um. I think it scares me even when I walk into the studio and to look at the painting I've been working on the day before and think, well, <clears throat> sometimes it's a total disaster. Whereas the fact that the evening before when you left it, you thought that's quite good. You know, I'm quite a good artist. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> and and the dawn painting has played tricks on you because the following morning it you realise it's a disaster. And it scares you because, again, I suppose. Really, on the other hand, that means it's alive and it's having its energy.
2: And you um, can't control everything. And you
0: can't control it. Um, but um, it, I think, and, and what scares me is, and of course, time does because we've only got so much time. And I think. Um, the more biographies I read of, of great artists, I mean, they, most of them were so desperate to get the work done. Hmm. Um, and they knew there was a limited time. And, you know, you think, how are you going to arrive at that? Uh, I mentioned earlier on Monet, one of the, as I say, one of the greatest painters of all time. And yet, you know, he can never quite, I think in the end he did create the greatest of all masterpieces, the Lily uh, series, but it took him to the end of his life to get to that mm. stage.
2: Mm.
1: What is your strongest desire in life?
0: It now? I I think to find a contentment, hmm. um, but not a... Um, Well, we everyone would. I mean, we, I. I feel to have, you know, happiness with friends. Uh, And again, I've noticed in the last few years that I, I don't really need. A social life, but I am very aware of having, a few very very good friends who obviously you can trust and rely on. I think maybe all those years of dealing in the art world, knowing so many people in America and Europe, um, that very, very few were close friends and very, very few you could actually trust. Mm. Um, Thankfully, all that's behind me. Um, And now I think I... I can be in a position where I can choose who I want to be with. Um, and most people are very good and mean well, so it's yeah. not that difficult.
1: I think a lot of people like you as well.
0: Well, I don't know, but I... Um, yes, I think friendship is is probably the most important thing of all, actually. Hmm. Um and, um, you know, you're in very close friendships uh, because you don't want to be in your studio in your last days just having a conversation with your painting of <laughs> apples and plums. <laughs> you know, you, I think I would prefer to be with one or two really good friends yes. than, than one of my prefer- rather indifferent, diff- challenging paintings.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I think that um friendship is is a very close warm mm. friendship
1: if you were an animal, what would you be
0: <laughs> um, well maybe a dog um all my friends keep telling me that I <laughs> should have a dog and um
1: oh, you think you would be a
0: dog um well i do i feel that if if um, I live on my own, and and many friends say, "Look, if you had a dog, you'd have a friend for life." <laughs> and um, well, maybe I could. I would have to empathise so much, love that dog so much. <laughs> maybe I should like. Um, of yes, I mean certainly. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have a, a, a my fox in the garden. Who I was only thinking today I was the first. I felt really quite sorry for the, the fox because it has a um, a, a lame, a bad uh, hind leg, and I was only really walking. on. Th- I thought that, you know, I've always shooed this poor creature away, mm. and yet, you know, that poor thing—it's probably quite sad and in pain—and and always takes up my most comfortable garden chair um, when the sun comes out. And maybe I should begin having a little bit more compassion for the fox. <laughs> hmm.
1: And great question for a painter. What is your favorite color?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I that's a very difficult question because I like to contrast colors. mm mm-hmm. Um, i'll be working today very much on the color cerulean blue which is one of my favorite colors and then contrasting that with with the with the reds in other words the um opposite Mm. um colors but um it's more that i'd like to as i say to in terms of the color spectrum to put Um, colours um, interacting with each other Mm -hmm. so uh, colour never of course stays on its own, it's only in its how it's relative to another colour that changes as soon as you I mean that's why um, when I'm working on a painting every stroke on that canvas is is affecting every other stroke Mm -hmm. so if you're putting on a of a vermilion or a cadmium red, you know, it, it, what the colour next to it is going to change that particular hue, that particular colour.
2: Interesting, yeah. yeah. Hmm.
0: And what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Well, sometimes um, I, I do like... Um, in the end, I think, um, having a, a sense of humour and uh, a rather being able to laugh, certainly at oneself. And I've noticed in all the years of art dealing, there's very little humour out there. They're either, if you read articles in the in the art magazines, it's either dull art history or it's about the art market, which is even worse, um, and very few people write with humour. And, um, again, I mentioned earlier on that my father was a writer and playwright, but also he wrote for the newspapers, the Times, and the different magazines, wrote many books. And he, I think he was the only person in the whole United Kingdom writing about art with great humour.
2: Mm.
0: And I so respected that. Yeah. Because we had a lot of fun together and seeing the dark side of everything, and I think I can never. If we go go back to friendship, and we were talking about that, I think that if a central component would be humour, we must. I don't mean to be frivolous. I mean, I I think you know, uh, for me, you know, it's nothing more serious than great. whether it's El Greco or Titian or Rembrandt um, or Roscoe or Modigliani or Giacomet. I mean, you know, these great people. But then I see at the same time the absurdity of everything and that's not to devalue great art, but I think you have to see... You know.
1: Yeah, getting a bit of distance from.
0: I think we have to um, um, always have uh, a sense of humor, and to be with friends who have um, not the same humor as you, but can tease you,
2: uh-huh.
0: and that you can take that teasing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a friend here yesterday who. Spent about two hours non-stop teasing me, and I've I always thought that it's a compliment because if someone teases you, they know that you're not going to be hurt or take offence. Mm. And I think that, and I know he must respect me because he does buy my paintings. So um, yes, I think I think humour and um, um, combined with a great sort of. Serious approach
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and uh, love of the subject
2: mm.
1: and how do you learn and grow
0: How do you learn and grow Yeah i think um, i think that's a very good question I, th- I think by having a little bit of courage to take yourself out of which is an overused phrase these days out of your comfort zone um you know to take yourself out of your secure position Mm -hmm. and look at art that you thought would have no interest for you you know to look at artists and exhibitions um which aren't really in your camp but um might just wake you up in a in a different in a different form and um, yes I mean I, I remember <laughs> having said that I was only about three months ago I there was an exhibition I won't mention the artist but I, everyone was saying what a wonderful artist he is and he was being shown at a quite an important gallery so I thought okay I, it's not enough to constantly be rude about this artist and criticise him. I must at least go and see it. And on the way to the tube station, I fell off my bicycle and ended up in hospital, <laughs> <laughs> having broken my leg. So I I didn't actually see the, that artist in the end. At least I tried. I'm not <laughs> quite go- sure what that means, um, uh, Whether what omen that means. But anyway... Um, uh, seriously i I think that I think that um, i when i i've always made when I go into the the great museums and great galleries um I've always made a point hadn't thought of this until now, but I've always made a point of going into rooms of artists that I'm pretty sure won't interest me mm. and Quite often, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, obviously, uh, I, I discover you know, artists who, or period of art or a school of art, that I'd in the past dismissed or not taken an interest in. And by pushing yourself into those rooms, the galleries, that you normally wouldn't go into, it's a sort of wake-up call. And you think, my gosh, you know, for years I've dismissed this artist now. I got it all wrong. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a limit to you can't constantly do that because you've you've got to have, you know, it's like a um, being a football fan. You know, going obviously you have your favorite team, Hmm. but you know, if you're ever going to have a deep understanding of football, you've got to watch all the teams play, yeah, and 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 look at their differences. And I think that. I, I think that's that. That's very important.
1: Hmm. And now, do you have any coming project for the future?
2: Well, um, Some stories.
0: Uh, is, uh, stories. Yes. Well, one um, project this winter is is to, is to finally, because most many of the stories have been written out, and I. Stories of my um, very bizarre bizarre experiences over the years, um, which seem to have entertained people over and over again. So whenever I tell these stories, people say, well, you've got to write a book. Um, And these stories do range over extraordinary sub I mean, everything from being involved with Russian... Female gangsters, um, um, everything really, um, to to, um, being shot at and one thing and another. I mean, I've. um, um, They make up quite a wide range of uh, stories, indeed, to say the least. Um, And again, I go back to my point that it seems that when I read columns of on but the art world uh, so much of it is rather dull and gray um and i'm tired of reading about the local the the, the, the latest investments in art i mean that's just, don't no one wants to read that you know you want to read about life and people mm. um and how and of course being an art dealer all those years and meeting so many interesting collectors mm. Um, and more often than not, they're really very interesting people. I don't—I th- dare I say it—I don't think there are so many interesting ones now because the art is so, not so exciting. But um, but in the past, you know, I I knew so many eccentric and wonderful collectors who had their own stories to tell. Um, so yeah, there's there's a.
1: Yeah, very exciting.
0: Um, in, so that's a project, that's one project now for the next uh, few months um, to answer your question. And and as far as the painting is concerned, I, I don't really plan too much ahead because I want each, in a sense, I want each painting to... F-
1: Unfold. To, to, yes,
0: to suggest the next project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can plan it too much. But again, as I was saying, I think you've simply got to do the work and -hmm. the work itself will hopefully um, instigate uh, um, ideas and Mm. thoughts.
1: Great. Well, so that's the last question of the podcast, this episode. Do you have, I know you have many, but... Many, maybe any recommendation, book, artist, or film that really excites you at the moment. Um, exhibition.
0: Well, in terms of exhibitions, um, I mean, I've. It's, you mentioned film. I, I um, there's a rather wonderful film by the German director Herzog. Um, A very eccentric character. He's now in his 80s. And um, he was one of his most famous films, as everyone knows, is Fitzcarraldo, and another one, Aguirre, Wrath of God, and so on. But he made a film a few years ago called, I think it's called A Cave of a Thousand, or Caves of a Thousand Dreams. And it's Really, um, he was given permission and his film crew to go into these uh, caves in France, which have Paleolithic um, paintings, oh. which have been dated. Over, they're much older than Lascaux, and they're 35 to 40,000 years. Ago.
2: Wow. And,
0: and he's made this beautiful film. Um, Because the public, no no one's allowed to go there except the uh, archaeologists and the anthropologists. And uh, that's a very inspiring film because um, I think most people would agree that those cave paintings in many of those um, um, caves are amongst the most beautiful works of art ever made. And we'll never, we know nothing, of course, about. I mean, there's a theory now that they were most in all probability painted by the women, not by the men, mm-hmm. which is another interesting subject. And then um, in terms of, of exhibitions and art today, I think I'm hoping to go to Paris and... Um, see the the great Roscoe exhibition, which is on at uh, Vuitton, um, which I'm going to hopefully seeing in January.
1: Eline from the Montage, I am delighted to announce that this is happening right now. Yes, as this episode is being published on Friday, January the twelfth of twenty twenty four. Richard is in Paris visiting Rothko's exhibition with me. Woohoo!
0: And of course, I'm not an abstract painter myself. Um, never have been, but there are certain, I've always been drawn to the American abstract expressionist painters. Um, they, they were all, for me in a, in a sense, they were <laughs> was the last period of great painting in the West. Um, William de Kooning especially in Rothko Um, Kooning is a very good example because he was partly figurative he was never really purely abstract Mm -hmm. but uh, the Rothko I think was um, one of the most one of the greatest painters of the last century Um, and I think his paintings which are in the exhibition but are have been loaned from the Tate in London, which is a series of the, the Seagram series,
2: yeah.
0: painted for the Four Seasons restaurant in New York, and then were given by Rothko to this country. Um, for me, I, I just seem to embrace so many different... Um, Thoughts and ideas. I mean, they remind you of, of Eastern, of, of, of a Japanese and Chinese painting, of Zen painting, but they're just um, powerful and beautiful and timeless. Mm. Um, so, and then there's also uh, at the same time there's a Bangkok exhibition showing the paint his last paintings he did in the last two years of his life. So I can't wait to see that. Mm. Um, and the more I see of Gogh as I get older, or just old, <laughs> um, and read his letters to his brother, um, he must um, always be an inspiration beyond anyone, I suppose.
1: Mm. Well, thank you so much for...
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Participating in this episode. I will put in the, um, we can have notes on podcast. So I will put the the link to your website and of course your Instagram. So people can contact you if they want to and have a look at your
2: paintings. Thank you.